Jack Hutchek's book, Abraham Hearing God's Call, he tells uh, the story uh, or gives some information that some of you may have heard in uh, uh, Hollywood, Hollywood uh, holiday movie. But anyway, he pointed out throughout the late 1930s and early 40s, children gathered around the family radio every afternoon at 4.30 to listen to the program uh, that was known as Little Orphan Annie. The announcer, Pierre Andre, would conclude each broadcast by inviting all club members to decipher a secret message by those who had official Little Orphan Annie decoder ring. But the only way to get that ring to become a club member was to send in 25 cents, which doesn't sound like much to us, but in the 30s and 40s, it wasn't chump change. Uh, You had to send in the 25 cents and the label from the inside of an Ovaltine lid. The writer named Harris Akel describes what it was like to join that secret society said, after three agonizing weeks, a package bearing the Dakota ring and official membership card finally arrived. That afternoon, I could barely wait for the program to begin. Today's adventure was of no interest to me. All I could think about was the secret message. I was finally going to find out what those secret messages were. And finally, the adventure ended, and Pierre-Andre told everyone to take out their rings, and he announced the letters for that day's secret message. A4, A6, B2, and he copied, he said, the, the code letter by letter onto a piece of paper. He said, I wouldn't miss any of them. When the last letter was announced, I took my ring in hand and started to decode my very first message as an official club member. This was exciting. The seemingly jumbled letters actually spelled a sentence. My hands shook with excitement. When I stopped deciphering the message, I stopped to read it. As I read the message, I felt that I must have missed something, so I decided to decode the message again. But it still read the same. Drink your Ovaltine to grow big and strong and tune in to little orphan Annie's adventures every day at this same time. He wrote, after decoding the message, the disappointed an uh, eight-year-old Askel mumbled, with a secret message like that, no wonder Annie is an orphan. Okay, folks, getting into the little orphan Annie uh, club wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Uh, maybe you have joined a group or society thinking this was going to make your life so much richer and more fun and found out, It really wasn't. But what about becoming a member of the family of God? What does that do? How important and wonderful is that? It's priceless. So please stand as we hear today's text from the Word of God. Genesis 17, 1 through 14, then verses 23 through 27. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, 
This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. After you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to go circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with money, your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household were bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised him as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household, were bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The sign of the covenant for Abraham and his descendants. Circumcision. God confirmed the covenant that he had entered into Abraham way back in Ur when he said, leave your father's house, leave your land, follow me and I will make you a blessing. Uh, it was a reminder that he and his descendants were God's people. Now, it's important for you to remember and get the time frame of all of this. This comes after 13 years of silence. There is no record of God coming before Abraham from the time Ishmael was born to this moment. So there has been silence from God 13 years. I don't know, can't imagine what Abraham may have been thinking, what he may have been feeling. But at this moment, in a very moving moment in the patriarch's life, God made himself known, confirming the covenant. Throughout this world, across so many people, groups, and ages, God's people are called to live in covenant with their God. Not just enter into a covenant, to live in it. That's this 
That's the significance when God says, Abraham, you are to walk before me. You are to live your life before me and follow me. This morning, we're going to try to discover what it means to actually live in covenant with God. Those in this room today who've received Christ, you have acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior within your life, we entered into a new covenant. Not that long ago, during communion, we read about the price of the covenant, the blood of Jesus. But it's not just about entering in. It's about living in that covenant. And so, to help understand that, we're going to take a look at our text and try to discern certain truths that grow out of it. Truths that will guide us today. The very first thing I want to share with you is to live in covenant with God means to live in reverence before Him. To live in reverence, to to acknowledge who He is in our lives as God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God who has made Himself known. When God comes after 13 years of silence and says, I am God Almighty, the first thing Abraham does Abraham, Abram prostrated himself before his God upon hearing him the call to walk before him. There are no shouts of joy. There are no praise the Lord's. There are no celebrations at this moment when Abram hears what God has to say. He falls down on his face before God. No words spoken. No words of joy. Just absolutely bows down in pure reverence in the presence of God. The the situation, the moment in time is so powerful, so real, so majestic for him. There's nothing he can do but fall down before God. In that moment, trembling in silence before God, Abram understands something. The absolute truth of God's majesty, power, Holiness. At that moment, Abram understands and grasps that God Almighty was the Lord and that he, Abram, was not. We talk about feeling the presence of God in our worship services. And hopefully we understand that presence and we experience it. But folks, frequently within the Word of God and in our own lives, we may discover that when God makes His presence known, it's not because we feel bubbly inside. Sometimes God makes His presence known and it humbles us and, and causes us to catch our breath and understand we're in the presence of God Almighty. You see, I believe with everything in me to actually live in covenant with God we must understand the proper relationship we are to have with Him. God Almighty is Lord over our lives. And we must not lose sight of this. By the way, just in case you're interested in these things, this is the first time in the Word of God that the phrase, God Almighty, shows up. 
He does not address himself as Yahweh. And we'll talk about possibly why later. But God Almighty shows up. And in our lives, we need to understand, I'm not talking about a mental assent to the truth that our God, our Savior, is Lord. It's easy for us to just say those words. It's easy for us to sing songs about the Lordship of Christ. I'm not saying, oh yes, I'll check that off my box. I, I believe that. I'm talking about a truth that is more than an agreement to an idea. I'm talking about a commitment. A commitment that we need to return to time and time again in our lives. I remember at the age of eight when I made my profession of faith in Christ and the the, the sheer joy and excitement that I now was a child of God. But as I look through all the years, folks, that was a long time ago. A very long time ago. And I look at the different times in my life when God made Himself known in a mighty fashion. And it was always a moment of catch. It was always a moment of of sheer amazement that God loved me enough. And it also came with an understanding that that first time Jesus is Lord of my life, that statement would not carry me through. John Piper said it well. Our submission to Christ is imperfect and progressive. From the time of our first saving acceptance of Christ, He is our King and Lord and Savior and Priest and Prophet and Counselor. All that He is, He is for those who are His. And then begins a life of faltering and growing yieldedness to Christ and all that He is. This can come in the form of a decisive crisis or in the form of gradually growing commitment or in the form of daily surrenderings. The Lordship of Christ in reality is something that is not discovered and yielded to once, but thousands of times. It is yieldedness to His Lordship that is at stake every time we are tempted to sin. Every day, all saved people own Jesus as Lord in their lives, but live out that submission in greater or lesser degrees of consistency. And we need to come back to this truth over and over again. God is King. Our God is Lord. Father, Son, Spirit, God Almighty, Lord. And we are not. We are not. My sister once was talking about one of her children, her grandchildren, and how they had gotten kind of sassy in life. And I told her, you're the one who taught her, you're not the boss of me. So don't complain about it now. Well, folks, God is king, God is Lord, God is boss and so much more. And I need to understand that. I need to yield. What we are on Sunday then what we are on Monday through Saturday, they're not supposed to be different. We cannot compartmentalize our lives. This is my Sunday self, and this is the rest of my life self. Great Protestant reformer, 
Martin Luther said, life ought not to be divided into compartments labeled secular and sacred. Monday can be as significant as sacred as Sunday. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back again tomorrow. That's a pretty good way of looking at life. I am before my God, and one day I will before Him in His full presence. And so we need to understand that we need to learn that our walk with God is to be part of our everyday lives. Not just on Sunday. Not just during Bible study. Every day of our lives. God Almighty, make yourself known. And as we open our hearts, those moments of holiness can surprise us. And those moments when God makes himself known might cause us again to catch our breath because we suddenly have realized I am in the presence of God. That's what we're supposed to live. Because God told Abram, walk before me. Live before me. Not just when you're building altars. And not just when I come and visit you. Be before me in your heart all of the time. So, we need to walk in reverence before God. I've told you before, I cannot stand the expression, the man upstairs. I cannot stand the idea when when we talk about God as if he is our best buddy. He's the best friend I will ever have, but he will always be Lord. And I will always be his creation, his redeemed child. We must walk in reverence. Then to live in covenant with God means to have a heart of surrender. We've sung about surrender today a couple of times. I hope you caught that. But it is about surrender. God says, walk before me and be blameless before me, Abram. Now, Abram's call to be blameless before God spoke to the idea of completeness. It's not wrong to use the word perfect in this text as a translation of the word temim. It's not wrong to say blameless. But Clyde Francisco has pointed out Tamim doesn't basically means complete. It means mature. And it does not imply a moral perfection. What it's talking about is wholehearted devotion to God. In other words, God is calling Abram to a life of real surrender. Hold nothing back from me, Abraham. Hold nothing back as he gives him this new name and this wonder. You are now Abraham, father of nations. Don't hold back your heart from me. Yield yourself to me constantly, consistently. And for this man of God to move forward, he had to come to the place of committing his life. And at his greatest moment, his greatest test that we will see a few weeks down the road, 
Abram showed how completely he would follow and obey God. The patriarch was being called to walk the path of God with no ulterior motions, motives. God, I'll follow you if. No, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to hold on to this walk. And when we look at Abram in this call to wholeheartedness, this completeness, and we see how does that translate for us, then we need to understand to live in covenant with God, we must be ready to open ourselves to God without reservations. We need to move beyond that mentality that says, God, here's my life, everything, but this one little thing. Just let me hold on to this one little thing. We read of uh, an incredibly important encounter Jesus had that taught a truth that the disciples were completely freaked out, if you allow my 70s child to come back. They just couldn't imagine it. It's found in Luke 18. I'm just going to read part of it, 18 through 27. We are told a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he, the man, the ruler, heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this, his disciples said, Well, who then can enter? Who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Now, my apologies to anybody you may have heard this from before, but uh, some time, probably back in the 19th century, people uncomfortable with this passage felt they had to fix it a little bit, and so it, it started circulating that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of a Needle, and it was a very tiny gate, and if you're trying to come into the city and your camel was loaded down, you would have to unpack your camel bring it through the gate, bring the packs, repack, and go on your way. Folks, there never was a gate called Eye of the Needle. It didn't exist. Jesus is literally talking about a needle you would sew with. So the impossibility, it is impossible. And the disciples, the reason they're so surprised in their day, the mindset was if someone is wealthy, they are blessed by God. But Jesus draws the reality, folks, it's impossible for anybody to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. What's holding us back from following the Lord? What's holding us back from this idea of real commitment, wholehearted commitment? 
There was a risk in what Abraham was doing. Abraham is doing. I, I hope you catch this. And it may have gone through his mind. He risked the possibility of being a man who is deluded by wishful thinking. He could have died without any of God's promises being fulfilled. He died without the, the, the land truly becoming his, that he could tell it. All of these things could have run through his mind. But Abram made a decision. Abraham makes a decision. I'm going to trust God. Timothy Keller has said, commitment always means you put all your weight on something. So that if you're putting on your weight, fails, you're dead. When I hear people say, I don't have faith, I believe every time you step onto an airplane, you have faith. The laws of aerodynamics are real. And they're going to work. Every moment of our lives, we have faith. You had faith this morning to sit into a, in a pew. I don't know if any of you have ever had the joy of being in a rather old church and sitting in a pew that had dry rotted sometime in the past. If you have, like some people I have seen, at least one occasion I felt, but I put my faith in, didn't work. But Abram is saying, I'm putting my faith in God. And Abraham embraces this name. Keller says, commitment always makes you vulnerable. Always. When I decide to follow Christ, in this new covenant, I will learn soon that the world doesn't like what I have to share. It may cost me. It can cost me friends. It can cost me family. It can cost me plan. But will I trust? Yes, it's risky. But let us learn that our God can be trusted with our lives. Whatever risk we face, when Christ calls us to a life of commitment, we heard this today in our scripture reading. He calls us to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow Him. And there may be a day when we must take up that cross. And we will find that it was worth it. We can trust God. Here's my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Here I am, God. I'm willing to trust you. And one of the reasons we can trust him, a final truth, to live in covenant with God means to recognize the one who empowers us to live. The reason we can trust him is he has shown himself to be who he is and he has entered into our lives. Through his word he has shown us the way to life and through his leadership he has shown us how to live. It's important that we get this. I've already made reference but once again please note that the Lord called himself God Almighty in our text. He called himself Yahweh to Abram a lot. But
But here, as the shift is moved from Abram to Abraham, he calls himself God Almighty. Now, you very possibly and maybe probably know that that is the Hebrew phrase El Shaddai, God Almighty. But what it means has been debated. It's become very common nowadays to make reference that this is a connection to a word, a Semitic word, for mountain. He is the God of the mountain. And it's not hard to just see why that would be used. A mountain is a very powerful looking thing. I'm not talking about little tiny hills that we might have around, but an honest to goodness mountain. I remember making the trip as a little boy from California to to Texas on vacation as we'd come home uh, and going through the mountains and I was in awe every time. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, translates this word almighty and most English translations follow that. God almighty. Derek Kigner has said a, a very traditional analysis is that this means the God who is sufficient. And in the Old Testament, particularly here within the patriarchs, every time that name for God is used, it's used when the children of God are in trouble, they are frail, they are not able to take care of what's about to happen. They are needing the hand of God to move and God is coming and saying, I am sufficient. I can carry you through. I am able. And God tells him, I am sufficient to make you the father of many nations. Abraham, the father of many nations. I am able to give you that child that was promised. I am able to bring your descendants to their home. I am able. And he says, because I am able, I am telling you that now you need to make the commitment. The sign of the covenant. And and the interesting thing about it is nowhere in our text, nowhere it is ever discussed who the sign is for. We're just, this is the sign of the covenant that you and your descendants will carry circumcision. Now, the Hebrew people were not the only people in the ancient Middle East who practiced circumcision. There are many different cultures around the world that do. But for most of the nations in which Abraham grew up, it would have been a rite of passage. It was done when a young man was about to enter puberty, was about to become a man. It was done when they're about to enter marriage. But Israel was the first where this initial commitment of circumcision would happen in infancy. As a child, this, as a, a sign that this child has been born into the family of God and the people of God. And Abram obeys. Abraham obeys without any hesitation here. He obeys the command of the God he had come to trust. 
and believed that God was sufficient to carry the promise through. Abraham trusted in God Almighty and plunged himself into action. One more time, important to see here. His faith in God resulted in his doing something. Now, salvation has never been about faith plus works. Abraham has already been declared just before God because he trusted. But James makes the point in the New Testament that the faith we proclaim is proven by the deeds. It's the evidence that we truly are God as children. And Abraham obeys. So when we come to this place of understanding, what does it mean for me? I'm a child of God. I am in the covenant. What does it mean for me day in and day out to live in awareness, live in the truth of the covenant? To live in covenant with God, we must understand that we have no hope to do so without His help. I am every bit as much in need of God Almighty as Abraham was. Just because I am a child of God through faith in Christ does not mean that somehow I have it easy. God Almighty continues to be sufficient for those who trust Him. He is able to offer us the salvation that can bring us out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light through the saving act of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's able to forgive us at the depths of our sin. And For anybody who ever says, God can't forgive me, you don't know how bad I am, you don't know how far I've gone, folks, God can forgive our sins because of what Jesus Christ has done. He is able to truly forgive us. He is able to give us what we need to live the life we are called to live. So every time I think about covenant, every time I think that I am a part of God's family because of what Christ has done, I am reminded that God Almighty has given me the ability to call Him Father. And if He were not able to do all of this, you and I would have no hope. We couldn't have victory over sin. We would not be forgiven. We could not become what we are meant to be. But God is able and has brought a new circumcision into our lives. Yes, there is. We have undergone circumcision. But not in the sense of a right that brought us into Israel, the people of Abraham as members of the tribe, but something more. God, it's first reference actually in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moses is telling to the people who have physically undergone circumcision, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and, your, and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. God has circumcised your heart. And I know that's a strange sounding phrase to us. But the change that has happened in life for the people of Israel, were not just about males being circumcised, but all of the people of Israel who trusted God, He had done a work in their heart. Paul makes reference to this in the book of Romans, chapter 2, 28 and 29. 
A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. God did something to our hearts. Now, keep in mind, when the Bible uses the word heart, in this context, it's not about that muscle that's beating right now, keeping you alive. It's talking about the depth of who you are. It's talking about your mind, your spirit, your, your life. He has moved in us. And that price of the covenant by which he came is the blood of Jesus Christ. When we surrendered our lives to Christ, he circumcised our hearts. And made us his own. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me, but every time I talk about this, it's very hard not to slip into shouting time. Folks, I couldn't save myself no matter how hard I try. I can't. And God has reached in my heart and said, Danny, you don't have to. I've done everything needed for you to call me Father. And even in those moments in life when I still pastor for well over 40 years, a child of God for decades upon decades, there's still those moments when I feel overwhelmed. How could God possibly love me? And is there any hope for me? And the Spirit of God whispers, yes, Danny. And he brings me back to Romans 5.8. God proved his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he brings me back to these promises. Danny, I will give you what you need. Peter tells us, God will give us everything we need to live this life. And he speaks to my heart, confess, and I'll cleanse you, I'll forgive you, and I'll take all of the unrighteousness away. Folks, that's what it is to live in covenant. So let us learn to trust that God will enable us to do what he calls us to do. Let's trust that God really does have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And it's a question of opening ourselves up to Him. He has a purpose for this congregation. and We need to understand that and discover it and commit ourselves to this. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 16, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We can trust that God Almighty can change us and give us the hearts we need to do the ministry He is calling us to do, to care enough about a community that we share our faith, that we open our hearts, that we open our love. We can be changed by God Almighty. 
and His work in our lives ultimately will bring us to where we're meant to be. We're never going to arrive completely here on earth, but one day we will stand before our God. And we will walk in His presence for all eternity. So, in the end, what does it mean for us to say, I want to live in the covenant. I don't just want to say I'm a member of the family. God, I want to live for you. I want to let my heart be anchored in who you are. I want you to move in my life and change me and make me into what I can be in you. What does it mean to live in the covenant? Well, folks, again, we sang about it not that long ago. This very morning. What does it mean? I want to live in you, God. It means I come to the place of finally saying, I surrender all. Here I am, Lord. Warts and everything. Here I am. I'm asking you to touch my life, purify my heart, refocus my energies, keep my eyes stayed on you. Here I am, Lord. I had a very wise professor way back in my college days in a class on pastoral ministry, make a statement that has stayed with me all these decades. And he said, we need to start praying, not God use me. You've heard me pray the prayer he's told me. We need to be praying, God make me usable. And if God makes us usable, he definitely will use us. So here I am, Lord. As you bow your heads before God Almighty, it is my prayer that you will be able to say, I want to live for you, God. I want to shine for you, God. It's my prayer that you will say, right here, right now, where I am, without reservation, without caveats and excuses about little things I want to hold on to. Today, will you say to God, today, at this moment, I surrender all. And in the days and weeks ahead, help me learn to say throughout my life, I surrender all that I am all that I have to you.